Thank you. Hey, good morning. Um, what a great honour it is to be uh, in the midst of or invited into this, uh, you know, great couple of days of equip uh, for your movement. I know there's people, of course, uh, that are not only affiliated with your movement, but friends of your movement here and uh, you know, through my connections with Leo and Christine and uh, Paul and Monica and, and all the boys, Josiah and Leon, you know, the whole Nicotra dynasty that I spoke about uh, a little while back and David Hagar and, you know, I, I feel, I don't feel like an outsider uh, coming in. I, I really do feel very honoured and, um, and like a family. And thank you for just the opportunity to, you know, speak into... Um, you know, just 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 an aspect. I I was um, in in the hotel room last night. I only live on the central coast, so I'm not that far away. But I thought if I stay close by, I I can sleep in. Uh, <laughs> no, I I just I like to actually as a preparation. Here, here we go. Here's some practical thoughts. As a preparation, particularly uh, in the just in the prophetic function for me, um, it's helpful for me to find a cave, a hotel room. And uh, just quietened down everything. I didn't even didn't go out for dinner last night. Uh, poor me, right? But no, I I, I just kind of wanted to prepare because uh, you know words are words, but it's more than than your, your vessel, you know. And and I just kept on kind of seeing this tree, and I I was asking the Lord about what's the assignment today, and and I, I felt like the assignment for this session. I'd love to unpack with you, wrestle together with you on this thought about the marketplace and the, the, you know, the church in the marketplace and what does that look like and I just saw kind of an axe hitting a tree but it, it was really interesting because it was like the axe was hitting the exact same spot all the time and I felt like the Lord said to me, sit with this message, you know, I could go a lot of different ways but it's almost like sit in this pocket alone and um and sometimes that's 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 dangerous because what that means is I'm not going to be able to uh qualify some of the statements that I say with a counterbalance right and and you're just going to have to hear that in light of course of 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 the great ministry that is here and 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 here when I say something and it pushes you which I pray it does because it pushes me and it pushes you that that um, even you know. Thank you so much for being so generous with the time for this session. Uh, three and a half hours is beautiful. <laughs> but as I as I do that, I'm just not going to qualify everything I say. Is that okay? Uh, um, that doesn't make it wrong. It just means I I'm, I'm trying to go somewhere with you in all this. Um, I, I feel like it's really important for me to undergird something before I speak about the church in the marketplace. I, yes, I am a businessman, I have a consultancy company, I have several other businesses, and I love that. I've been a business person since I was 10 years old. My first business when I was 10, I was a kidpreneur and, um, um, at 10, and then I became my father's, in my father's shop, a waiter at 11. I left school at 14 to become my father's business partner and bought my own business outright when I was 18 and just sort of went from there. But... But I am also, I just want to, I'm a pastor in a local church. I think it's really important that you get, because I'm going to say some things and you're going to go, 
oh, hang on, is he a pastor? Like, like, I'm a pastor in a local church called Hope Unlimited Church. My senior pastors, pastors Mark and Darlene, uh, I've been with them, like uh, Leah said, um, for 10 years. My role in the church is I'm an elder in our church. I am the really the staff pastor, so I, you know, they're, they're direct reports to me, so I function as an associate. Um, I also wear the badge or the title of marketplace pastor in our church. That means I have the responsibility to bring leadership and pastoral oversight. We have about 200 business people throughout our, uh, we're a multi-site church on the central coast. We have six campuses. We have about 200 people in the congregation throughout the campuses that are in business and uh, I bring I bring pastoral care to them uh, my job is uh, to to really nurture them in their frontline ministries of business uh, I'll qualify that a bit later um, I am bivocational uh, by design and decision not by necessity so I, I choose I choose to to work uh, as a business person and also in the marketplace, and also a pastor in the congregational life of the church. That's, a, that's actually, uh, I, I feel like that's a, that's a design by the Lord upon my life. It's also the design, by the way, of my senior pastor's life as well. He, he runs his own global media company, and he's the senior pastor of the church. That doesn't mean, by the way, that's, that's what everybody should do. Um, I operate, uh, one of the ways that we minister in the church uh, to the business people and also to people in their careers is uh, we built a training academy. It's called the Centre of Excellence. And in that Centre of Excellence, um, we train entrepreneurs and we train people in their, you know, in some, in wherever they are in their careers. And we train them in excellence. We train them in uh, business and, and marketplace smarts. And we train them in kingdom and supernatural worldview. And we've been, um, you know, it's been a real joy. Uh, we've been doing that in its current evolution for three years. Uh, we've been doing it actually for eight, but in its current evolution for three years. And uh, have seen now literally hundreds and hundreds of, you know, kingdom people come through that and go on to either launch businesses, scale businesses, uh, expand their careers, and really... Um, be equipped dynamically again as frontline ministers in the marketplace, and so um, that's uh, it's a great joy and a great testimony that we carry there. And uh, I could I could spend the next hour just telling you about some of the most outstanding testimonies uh, that have come out of out of that um, that vehicle that we really believed uh, felt God supernaturally bring us into. As a matter of fact. Pastor Mark and I were in a, in a meeting and uh, a prophet that had never met us before, he stood me up in the crowd and said, um, I don't know who you are, but God says you're a businessman, but you're more than a businessman, you're a trainer and equipper of believers in the marketplace. And uh, he said, uh, you will go around the world and you will train the body of Christ how to operate supernaturally in the marketplace. And then he stood up. My, my senior pastor, and he said, this man is linked to you and you will do this together. So that was, was about five years ago. So we, we saw that as a pretty clear direction from the Lord that we should get on with this thing. And uh, so that's what we've, we've done. 
before I kind of really get into where I want to go here, I really what I want to do is I want to give you, I want to do two things. I want to take the first little bit and talk about a marketplace parable from the Bible. And then I want to, I want to end it by giving you a marketplace testimony from the Bible, right? Um, but before I do, back in 2018, I was down in Melbourne at an event called The Awakening Business. And uh, I was there with several hundred people. And uh, I was, uh, get this, I was number 12. I was, I was one of the speakers. I was number 12 on the one, in the one-day event. Could you imagine that? There was 12 speakers, and uh, I, I, the guy that the guy that organised it, like he's he's one of my best friends, but he's just a riot. Like it's like, dude, you made me number 12. Like everybody's everybody's brain dead by by number eight, and I'm number 12. I thought there's no way anything I say is going to do anything if you're number 12 on that speaker. But by the grace of God, in the morning worship. Um, I, I had a vision and I thought, I'm not going to preach. I'm just going to talk that. I'm just going to tell that vision. Uh, and this is part of that, that vision um, that I had at, in, in that session. Um, I said at the time, I believe that this is a prophetic vision for the marketplace ministry. I saw a black ox with a crown on its head and a gold river pouring out of its mouth. The river that was pouring out of the mouth of the ox was landing in the hands of men and women. As soon as I saw this vision, I intuitively knew a couple of things. I knew that the ox represented the marketplace ministry. Uh, As a matter of fact, the image of the ox is found in Scripture as one of the uh, faces of the heavenly creatures in Ezekiel, right? The ox dimension represents an ability for industriousness, uh, a type of strength, Uh, that I believe has actually been missing in a large part of the church. One of the reasons for this is that some of the churches had a false mindset of sacred and secular and divided it for too long. So in that, we've actually been disempowered. I, I said, this black ox, the crown it had was gold, which spoke to kingly ministry in the marketplace and that the marketplace ministry will restore dynamically into the language of the church. Um, I love that thought in Revelation 1. It says, and God has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and forever. Amen. The golden river that, that was coming out of the ox's mouth, I believe, represents resource and affluence. The river was landing in the hands of men and women. And I actually knew in the vision that these men and women were leaders and heads of churches and ministries in the body of Christ that would be equipped and empowered and fueled to get on with the work that is in front of them as this golden river was coming out of the ministry of the marketplace. I, I, I said at the time that I feel like the church gets in trouble sometimes with schemes of raising money uh, because of their failure to activate marketplace ministers in their midst. Um, Okay, let's keep going. I, I, I said, then what happened was that I saw that this ox was given wings, which I believe speaks to the maturing of the prophetic in the marketplace ministry, particularly in the supernatural. Uh, it began to fly to different major cities and find leaders and people that were on kingdom assignments and began to pour this golden river on them. And as this happened, I saw 
these, these men and women and their regions come alive with fire. Everything was ready. Uh, it seemed like before the ox arrived, it was like everything was ready in the region, but it was waiting for this golden river to hit them. It just made everything come alive. And I, I, again, I believe that's part of the why God is maturing and raising marketplace ministry in this uh, day, in this hour. Um, that's the, that's the, the vision that I gave as number 12 speaker uh, in that conference. And, um, you know, that was in 2018. We're now in 2022. We've gone through, you know, interesting times and, and seasons. But I, I, I've, got to, I've got to say to you that, that for four years, I, as I've begun to not only travel around Australia but all over the world, I'm beginning to see the awakening of the body of Christ in a dynamic way to understand the place of marketplace ministers in her midst. I, I really am. I, I, I felt like, you know, I mean, I've been, I've been banging on in this space for 15 years and definitely felt like John the Baptist 15 years ago uh, when I was talking about this. I actually, when I started 15 years ago, I, uh, I, was in a corporate, I was in a corporate job and the Lord called me out of that job, I got the promotion of a lifetime in that company and I felt the Lord say, don't take it, quit and uh, you're going to do, uh, I'm going to bring you into your next season and this next season was this thought about becoming this prophetic executive coach to the marketplace, uh, which I, which, you know, when it was back then, it, like it sounds great now, but back then it was like, it was just a dream, it was just a, it was just a voice in my head, so like, it's not like I'd, I'd professionally done that before and and I remember when I, when I, when I, so I quit my job, I, I set all this up and then I heard the Lord speak to me and say, stay away from the Christians for the, until, until I tell you. It's like, stay away from the Christians. I'm a prophetic executive coach to the marketplace and I'm not allowed to have any Christian clients. It was like I was banned. And I was like, well, if I'm not going to go to the Christians, who will I go to? I felt the Lord said, you'll go to the Babylonians and I'll teach you how to speak the language of the kingdom to them. And uh, I did that for three years. I thank God, by the way, for that divine restraint uh, because it taught me those three years, absolutely, it was like God was coaching me about really how to be that Daniel in Babylon and how to be Joseph in Egypt at a whole nother way. I'd already been on that journey, but a whole nother way. But, you know, I found that then when I, after three years, the Lord released me to coach Christians. I, I tell you what, I found the Babylonians easier to coach. Like, honestly, like, Christians are tough, man. You guys are tough. We're, we're tough. I'll tell you why. Because the Babylonians, when they're bleeding, they just want something to heal them and they'll take anything. But Christians, when you're bleeding, um, you'll, you'll hold every prejudice that you have and every scripture that you have to justify your bleed rather than allow God to heal us. Like, like you know, it's tough. Like, I, I tell you, I, I mean, I, I love coaching Christians, so don't, don't, don't hear that the wrong way. But I'm just saying it's, it's interesting about where our prejudice um, lie. So let me, let, me, let me share with you a, a marketplace parable. It's on the next slide, guys. Matthew 20, verse 1 to 7. And uh, here, here it goes. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Verse 3, and he went out in the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Can you say with me, idle in the marketplace? It's really important. Um, verse 4, he says, and he said to them, 
you also go out into the vineyard and whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went out. Verse 5, when he, again, he went out on the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. Now here's verse 6. And about the eleventh hour, I mean like the day's almost done. He goes, he went out and he found others standing idle. I mean, he's, he's beside himself now. He's like, I've come to the marketplace all day and now like the sun's about to go down and he sees more people standing idle in the marketplace and he says to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? Now, now, now their answer is really telling. They said to him, because no one hired us. You know, I, I got to tell you, um, I think, I know that there's a pandemic in the body of Christ, and I've seen it for 20, 30 years. And the pandemic of the body of Christ is idle saints. But, but, but he, he's, before we go, yeah, yeah, the saints, they should get off their blessed assurance. Before we go there, before we go there, let's, let's, we're at a leadership conference, right? So, so every problem and every answer is leadership. So if, if the saints are idle in the marketplace, that's a leadership issue. I'm talking to leaders, right? It says here, they said, no one hired us. No one gave us room. No one said that we could be industrious. No one, no, no one made a way, opened a door, uh, gave access. No, no one did that. You know, I, um, I had the privilege, uh, I've had the privilege several times now to, to be all over the world, but to go to Africa. And, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, particularly I've been in sort of Kenya, that sort of, those sort of areas of Africa. And um, I'm an entrepreneur, so I see opportunity in everything, right? So I'm in Africa and every nation I go to, I, my, my brain just is opportunity, opportunity. Oh, man, business, business, business. You know, like it's just, it's crazy. You've got to turn it off sometimes. But, but in Africa, I saw something really interesting. I saw in Africa that... Um, in general, this is a generalized statement, so forgive me here. I saw that the women in Africa were generally very industrious. But I saw the men, in general, plagued by idleness. Not by a lack of opportunity. Because as an entrepreneur, I could, I could see the opportunities. I was like, this, 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 this. Like, it could happen. But all of a sudden, there was this like... There was this spirit of idleness that just was wasted potential, wasted capacity, wasted lives, just breathing but not really living. And I thought, oh man, um, you know, I understand, I understand poverty, systemic poverty and injustice and corruption. But, but along with all that, one of the big issues, even if you cleared systemic corruption and if you got, you know, the, the, the economics into play and all the rest, one of the things that they still have to deal with is a culture of idleness, particularly amongst their men. And in the church, we have respectfully discipled idleness. I remember I'm a pastor. That's why I told you at the front, I gave you my resume. We've discipled sometimes idleness into our people. Let me give you an example, a practical example. Evangelism, right? Now, I love evangelism. This is, an evangel this is a church that loves evangelism. You guys are awesome. 
right? Now, there's, there's four layers of the expression of evangelism. The first one I would call uh, crusade or event street evangelism. Oh, man, we love that, right? Uh, that's, that's the dynamics of evangelism. We love that. And usually it's, it's preaching and power demonstrations, and it's amazing and it's wonderful. By the way, none of, none of these spheres are wrong. They just all need to be incorporated is all I'm going to say here, right? I, I think the church, uh, particularly over the last you know, 100 years, kind of knows the crusade, the event, the street evangelism. The second form of evangelism is what I call church community evangelism. And that's, you know, when we bring people into the life of, of the church community, whether that's Sunday services or some other expression, community engagement, all that. And as people come into the, the, the atmosphere of a Christ community, their hearts, you know, become awakened to the love of God, to their need of salvation. This is beautiful. And again, uh, the dynamics of that form of evangelism is the preaching of the gospel, uh, community life of, of just the community of Jesus and the witness of the saints as we carry Christ, right? This is beautiful, great evangelism. The third form of evangelism is something that, you know, many have talked about and I think is probably one of the most effective which is called friendship evangelism. And that's really this, you know, your neighbour, uh, the, the, the person that you work alongside, you know, people that are kind of in your sports clubs, whatever it is, the barista, you know, the, oh, you always want to see your barista saved. You need, you need that coffee to be just so... You want, him to be, you want him to be speaking in tongues as he gives you the latte, you know, just help you there. Friendship evangelism, powerful, powerful evangelism. And I, I believe that actually the body of Christ has done reasonably well in these three. In those three spheres, I believe the body of Christ has done reasonably well. But it's this fourth one of marketplace evangelism that I believe as yet we probably, it's a bit like we've gone to the gym and forgot to do legs. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like the arms are good, the chest is good, the back's good, but the legs look like chicken, like chicken legs. So uh, something's not right there. Not that I'm a gym guy, as you can tell, but, but you know, there's just, I, I feel like this particular area is a little underdeveloped, but I thank God that the Holy Spirit is putting a spotlight back in to this place. And marketplace evangelism, which I'll unpack a little more in a minute, really speaks to testimony, example, and supernatural favor. Like, I, I got to tell you, like, Signs and wonders in the marketplace look different than, than what you're used to, that most people are used to with regards to the front altar of a church. That doesn't mean, by the way, that we don't see people healed in the marketplace or anything like that. But all I'm saying is, if you were to take all the marketplace miracles in your Bible from the Old Testament and New Testament and study them, they look different to what we're accustomed to in general. Like, I, I, I got this whole book coming out about that anyway, so, you know, you can look that up later. Um, here's, some interesting, I, I, I'm, here's some interesting facts that I just want to present to you. Next slide, boys. 97% of our congregations will spend 70% of their week in the marketplace. Right. 97% of our congregation members will spend 20 times more 
at work in work hours than they do in a church setting. They'll spend two hours at church, but on average 40 hours a week in their workplace. So that's 20 times more, right? You, by the way, you don't have to ask them to do any of this. You don't have to put them in a discipleship class to do any of this. They will go to work 40 hours a week, right? They mightn't turn up to church every, every week for two hours, but they'll go to work every week, you know. 20 times more they'll be at work than they are at church. 97% of your congregation will spend most of their lives Monday to Saturday amongst and surrounded by unbelievers. That, that you don't even have to you don't even have to encourage them to do that in general. If that is true, have a look at these these I'm, these are questions that I'm asking me and you. If that's true, what I just said about the 97%, why is it that 90% of our discipleship training, including evangelism training, is orientated predominantly for congregational settings and special events? If, if what I said was true, why is it that... Number two, why is most of our leadership training in our churches highly specialised for religious settings, such as Bible studies, religious home groups and church services... If 97% of our people, okay, the third question, I, I, by the way, uh, you can talk to me at lunch if you've got answers to these. Um, number, the third question is, why are most discussions around the call of God pointed to a congregational church function, such as a, such as a service function, a home group, or a specialist demographic leader? See, I don't mind, like I... I think it's an honour to stand at the door and welcome people into the, ch- into the, into the church service every Sunday. I think it's, it's actually a greatest honour. I'm an elder in the church. Uh, I don't sit in the green room at 9.25 before our service. I'm actually at the front door of the church going, hey, Jerry, hey, Jerry. Like, I do that, but it, here's the thing. I don't do that because it's my ultimate destiny. I don't do that because it's the ultimate call of God on my life. I do that because I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm part of the family, right? I mean, if if my kids came to me and said, Dad, I know you told me to do the dishes, but it's just not my calling. (laughs) It's just not my calling. I'd be like, yeah, it's not. You're doing it because you're family, right? You're doing it because you're family. I'm not going to, I'm going to stack chairs because I'm family. Not, it's not my pastor. It's just, I feel like the Holy Spirit told me that my ministry of chair stacking, I need to take a break from it so I can just go and be with Jesus. I was like, dude, stack the chairs and fix your prayer life. You know, like, come on. Like, like, let's just, let's get a hold of this here for a minute, right? Now, now we do these things and sometimes we don't do them overtly, but we build a system where the saints become idle. And, you know, I'm a marketplace guy. If I was to sit in front of a CEO and he said to me, Dave, uh, I've got 100 workers, I've got jobs for 10 of them, and the other 90 just show up and drink coffee. I'd say to him, listen, I don't have to be a prophet, but you'll be broke in a month. You'll be broke. You, You can't do that. You can't do that. If you've got 100 people in your company, you better have 100 jobs. I want to tell you, there's no unemployment in the kingdom. There's no unemployment from ministry in the kingdom. There's no unemployment. There are different spheres of expression. There are different nuances of grace. 
But there is no unemployment in the kingdom. If you are a baker, if you are an accountant, if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, it really, if you're a school teacher, if you're a stay-at-home parent, you are in ministry. You need the anointing. You need the presence of God. You need all of these things dynamically inside of you. You know, I, I, there's this, the, you know, I speak to a lot of ministers who call me and say, oh, Dave, you know, if they know our church, our church, you know, particularly in Australian standards is, is kind of a large church and, you know, several thousand members. And so they go, oh, man, I, I, if, if, if God would just bless my church and do that. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? They're like, you know, man, I've got about 100 people turning up. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, in Australian average, you, you, you're actually above par. The average Australian church is 70 members. But here's the thing that I say to them before they start talking about, oh man, you know, if we would just grow to 300. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before we have that discussion, here's my question for you. Are the 100 you've got fully activated in their callings and their assignments? Are they fully activated? Like, are they, are they in? Are they, are, they, are they living Christ and manifesting Him irrespective of what they do? Are they fully activated? Well, you know the answer to that, right? Most, people, most pastors, if they're honest, half are, half aren't. I won't tell you which ones are, which ones aren't. Would probably say to you, well, about 10% are really locked in. And I'd say, well, what a great opportunity for you to activate the other 90%. Better go and figure out how to do that. Better go and figure out what's in the word about how that, that other 90% gets activated. I think that sometimes, I'm I'm talking to pastors and leaders, I think sometimes we forget, we forget how glorious the new birth experience is in the life of an individual. C.S. Lewis said, uh, if we could see one another in the spirit, it would take all that is within us not to bow down to the glory of God in each of us. I remember hearing this testimony of a pastor in New Zealand. He's in a worship service and he, he sees a vision of this, he, this creature, like in the spirit, this glorious creature that was full of fire. And he was like, oh God, this is amazing. Like, is that you, Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit said, no, that's not me. And he says, oh, wow, is, it, is, is this one of those, one of the heavenly creatures, you know, that surrounds the throne? And the Holy Spirit said, no, no, it's, it's not. And he said, well, Lord, what are you, who are you showing me? What, what am I seeing? And Holy Spirit says to him, I'm seeing what you look like in the spirit world. I'm showing you what you look like in the spirit world. Every saint is a vessel, is a vessel of the living God. We, 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 we're the gate of heaven. You understand? Like when God wants to land on the earth, he looks for a gate. Those gates aren't the doors of a temple any longer or a box. They're a person. They're a human being. They become the living temples of the living God. God, I need you to show up in my workplace. That's why you're there. Oh, you don't understand the principality that's in my workplace. You, if, if the Spirit of God is in you, you are the greater principality. You are the dominant principality. <laughs> The devil's not powerful enough to stop any one of us. He's just not. Because, because the devil's not power enough, powerful enough to stop God in you. So what he must do is get you to stop God in you. 
to drop your vision, to scandalise you so that you don't actually believe that God could do anything through me. To, to, to believe that, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm unemployed. I'm, I'm just, you know, holding out. I'm just trying to last until Jesus comes. How are we doing? Are we doing all right? I'm really passionate. Like I, I am, you can hear it. I'm, I'm really passionate about the activation of the saints. I, I feel like, you know, come on. Like if you really think about it, one out of every three people in the earth have a confession of Jesus Christ on their lips. That has never been in the history of this planet. One out of every three. Two billion people in some variation declared Jesus is Lord today in the earth. We, we, we might still be the minority, but not by much. Not by much. Like, like think about that for a moment. Not by much. If, if one out of three is a believer and, and we can get most of those ones to lead another one, we, we become majority pretty quick. Like it's not as far as it seems like, you know, Babylon is like this, 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 this mirage of a mega thing that's just, oh, it's big and all the rest. It's a million miles wide, but it's an inch deep. Truly, it's an inch deep. I mean, that's the testimony of Daniel, right? The testimony of Babylon in full tilt, Nebuchadnezzar on the throne. I mean, full tilt, you know, everything against him. He's young. He, <laughs> he, he becomes a eunuch. That's a bad day for a 16-year-old. He, he, he gets dragged in chains to a foreign land. They believe that he gets tattooed with the gods of Babylon onto his body. They change his name to the name of one of their demon gods. They send him to Satanism school for three years and he gets high distinctions. What? Come on, do you know what some of the class, some of the historians, do you know what some of the classes he was doing? He had to learn how to read the stars. He had to learn how to read the entrails of animals and understand how the Babylonian priests predicted the future. Like, like that, that was his classes, right? Because he's about to go for a job interview, he and his buddies. And the job interview is to, is to determine whether he can serve in Nebuchadnezzar's court. But to serve in Nebuchadnezzar's court, you must prove to Nebuchadnezzar, the king, that you can touch the spirit world. Because that's the job interview, that we don't get to hear the dialogue. But somehow, out of the interview, Nebuchadnezzar looks at the soothsayers and the enchanters in his court and he says, these boys are better than you, 10 times better than you. 10 times better than you at what? At seeing in the spirit. Isn't that amazing? Like I'm trying to lift your vision for, that, for, the, for the guy sitting in your back row who yesterday was addicted to alcohol and, and, and beating his wife and somebody got saved on Sunday in your church. I'm trying to give you a vision for what that guy with the Spirit of God inside of him could become, could do. I just think we need to capture that vision because otherwise what we'll do is respectfully we will coach idleness in our members and then get upset when they don't engage in the things of God. Like, like that's where we're at, right? Think of the opportunity, just, just, just between you and I, think of the opportunity around business. Just here in Australia, let me give you a stat. In, in the late 1980s, the average uh, amount of money you needed to start a business was $85,000. 
in, in the late 1980s. It wasn't just because the interest rates were at 17%. It was because most businesses needed some sort of brick and mortar, a shop, machinery, tools, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it was about $80,000 to start a business. In 2010, in Australia, the average cost of a startup business is $3,000. Because the majority of them were, in, were online. You know, it's, it's, it's actually cheaper now. Now, having said that, 90% of businesses blow up in the first year, right? But that's only because they haven't come to my entrepreneur school. <laughs> I mean, what an opportunity. I got to tell you, 21st century mission in the body of Christ looks pretty entrepreneurial. I, I, that, if, you, if you say, oh, well, he didn't say anything prophetic, let me tell you that, that statement right there. 21st century mission in the body of Christ is going to continue to look more and more entrepreneurial, right? Particularly metaverse and as we get into the whole digital space. I mean, 70% of the jobs that will be around in 2030 aren't even in the earth today. We're in a, we're in a seismic shift and there's an opportunity, I believe, Holy Spirit prophetically has been pushing into this message of the marketplace to prepare the church so that she's already paddling out before the waves even here. Because that wave's coming. You know, you saw, right? I mean, all, all COVID did was accelerate it, right? Push everybody remote. I mean, that was always going to come. It was just 10 to 15 years away. It just happened now, <laughs> right? The church was way behind digitally. Most churches still had a, had a terrible website and had no other presence online except maybe a daggy Facebook page, right? All of a sudden, I mean, you know, 80% of the churches in England went online in a matter of three months. Come on, if even the British can get it. Yeah, no, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The church was 20 years behind digitally. I think it's still 10 years behind but, but, but there's a window of opportunity and I believe that providentially it's why God is breathing on this, on this marketplace movement. Bill Hammond, a great global prophet, in 2000, early 2000 wrote a book called Apostles, Prophets and the Coming Moves of God. In that book, he prophesied that by, he said by, remember he did this earlier, he said by about 2010, the church will have figured out to some level what apostolic ministry is. And he says between 2010 and 2020, they will begin to figure out marketplace ministry. And he believed by the time we get to 2030, that there would be a move of God called the army of the Lord, where the saint, the fivefold were in place and the saints were going to be dynamically activated, not just within the confines of their congregational settings, but actually to the totality of their kingdom expression. Like I just, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal. I, I really believe, I believe that. All right. Um, we're doing okay, right? So let's, let's jump now. And I gave you, th that came out of a marketplace parable. Um, I, 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 I've mentioned this before. I, I think, I don't know, you can see it online, that the three prejudices, by the way, that every pastor and every believer needs to destroy in their lives is sacred secular, gospel of salvation, limiting things to the gospel of salvation, to the gospel of the kingdom, and clergy laity, that God only anoints superheroes called clergy and the laity are just the fan clubs, you know. 
By the way, I'm not diminishing fivefold ministry. I'm a fivefold minister myself. I'm elevating this, the, the capacity of the saints in the anointing. Right? They still, we still need apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists. We still need, we, we need these leaders. We need elders. We need, we need all of that. So don't think that I'm trying to suggest some sort of anarchy when I talk about clergy laity. What I'm saying is that the thought that the laity get a, a light milk anointing is a scandal. It's a scandal. Just you're anointed differently and you have a different function. We still need leadership. We still need uh, all of these other things. Sacred secular is this thought. What if, what if church planting in the 21st century, yes, looks like planting local congregations in a region, but what if some of those congregations don't necessarily look like a building with a microphone and a worship band? And what if that local church plant looks like a business? Uh, we got, uh, I got some dear friends of mine who I, who I mentored and they own a, um, they felt the Lord speak to them in 2005. Uh, they, they love the Lord, love church, all of that. Uh, they've been part of actually pioneering some local churches in our region. They felt the Lord speak to them and say, I want you to not only uh, continue to push hard in your your local church, I actually want you to build me a church in the marketplace. Not separate, but as part of the extended vision of the church you're in. Church in the marketplace. And so what they did is they got involved in the childcare industry. And uh, so now this is uh, 15 years later, something like that. And so here here they are. And and you can look them up, by the way. Their childcare centres are called Little Miracles. Little Miracles. Uh, They have 12 childcare centres throughout Sydney. They have over 300 staff members, 300 staff on their books. They take care of 1,000 children every week and their families. So I want to just give you a scope here. For, so every staff member, 300 staff members, so let's go their staff members and their families are part of their marketplace church. So three, let's, for every one it's four, so let's go 1,200 people, right? Every child is a part of a family, let's call the family four. So you've got 1,200 and you've got you know, 4,000. So they've got a church in the marketplace that every week ministers to 5,200 people. That's a mega church, right? It's a mega church. They invest over $150,000 a year in training their staff, upskilling their staff in the marketplace. But when you see their program, which is called Wholehearted, you and I would know. (laughs) <laughs> that it's actually discipleship without the scriptures. But every principle of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, they built their company on a thing they called the culture of honour. Right? Which is just kingdom all the way. Uh, like, like, do you understand? I'm, that doesn't replace, by the way, that doesn't, that doesn't they, they, they're in the front row of our church every week. Worshipping God. She's actually one of my key intercessors. Oh, as far as intercession, they have three intercessors on staff and two volunteer. I built a program for them uh, that helped the CEO and the intercessors be able to communicate together so that they could give spiritual intelligence to one another between the CEO and the intercessors. The intercessors meet every week and they send a report to the CEO every week and he sends prayer requests to them every week. 
And they never make, listen to this, they have a, they have a thing in them, they never make a major decision of purchasing or any, any major move without first having filtered it through the intercessory funnel. Amazing, right? So you understand, when, when, when you don't have a sacred secular prejudice, you, you understand there's not a problem with what I've just, just done there. And none of that invalidates the local church. Can you imagine, like for, for them, the, the local church, what we do for them, man, you know, like we, we're partners in the ministry. They're just coal-faced ministers. As a matter of fact, the front door of our church is not the front door of our building. It's the front door of their centres. Isn't that amazing? They've got a mega church. That's one. They've got a mega church. That's amazing. All right, let me give you this, this thought of this marketplace testimony. Uh, marketplace testimony. So I'll give you a marketplace parable. This is a marketplace testimony. So this is in your Bible. In Acts 18, we see Paul, uh, he's leaving Greece, he leaves Athens, this is verse 18, and he goes to Corinth. And he found a certain Jewish couple called Aquila from Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. I love the Italians, right? Because Claudius had told the Jews to get out of Rome. Uh, He came to them, and because they found out that they were both in the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. They went into business together. Right, Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, is is now in this season of his apostolic ministry, about to go into what everybody coins the tent maker ministry. Right. By the way, Paul wasn't always in in all the stages of his apostolic journey. He was not always bivocational. That's not true. If anybody says that's not true, there were certain times when he was in Athens. There's no signification that he was being bivocational there. He was a part of an apostolic team there. He was a teacher in that in the midst there, and uh, and then really emerged. He and Barnabas emerged as apostles out of that apostolic team. When he goes to Corinth. Uh, he's in Corinth and uh, he's being supported not just by Corinthians, but he's being supported by the Macedonians and some other churches. So he's being, so you understand what I'm trying, I'm not going to make a case here that says Paul was a bivocational minister all his ministry because he wasn't. But nevertheless, when we get to this point of his journey, he's, he's now at Corinth, uh, I'll just speed through it. He's at Corinth and he hooks up with Aquila Priscilla. They go into partnership together in this tent maker ministry. Now, in Australia, we've got really poor tents. I mean, it's not like Africa, right? We don't need to keep the lions out. We've just got to keep the koala bears out, right? So most of our tents are pretty, pretty weak. They're just nylon, little sticks. Nothing, big gust of wind will break them down. But in that day, a tent that was made of leather, right? A tent was a big deal. Like, it was almost like a house, right? And the major, uh, the major uh, customers for tents was not just mum and dad. It was the army, right? The Roman army particularly was, uh, was the, in greater need of these tents. And as a matter of fact, historians believe that Paul's parents, the Apostle Paul's parents, must have been in the tent-making trade as Jews and it was because they were so esteemed because it was such a valuable and lucrative trade that the Romans gave Paul his Roman citizenship from birth as a favour to his parents, Right, so, so what I'm trying to say to you here is when Paul and Aquila and Priscilla come into business, it's not a side hustle. <laughs> it's not a side hustle. It's a serious concern. And so what happens is that uh, they, they kick this off and then Paul, uh, Paul's got to go and do some things and they, they come down to Ephesus and, 
Quill and Priscilla stay, Paul goes and does some other things and they set up shop in one of the two agoras in, the agora is the marketplace, by the way, in Ephesus. Ephesus was such a large city, it had two marketplaces. In the marketplace, four things happened. Economics, civic, uh, like uh, government, leadership, culture and, uh, and art, like, um, you know, culture, art and culture. And so uh, Paul, Aquila and Priscilla set up shop in one of the agoras in, in Ephesus. And when Paul comes back after his journey, a uh, couple of things happen. When Paul comes back, uh, he goes and uh, he tries to preach the gospel in the synagogue and uh, everyone's happy for about three months, but you know Paul's thing. He gets a bit rowdy and a bit controversial and they kick him out. And so he goes next door and he hires, doesn't get given, he hires this Hall of Tyrannus, right? Now the Hall of Tyrannus, it's really interesting. Historians believe that Paul not only paid for the rent of the Hall of Tyrannus, but that he also threw, he, Aquila and Priscilla, also threw that business underwrote Timothy and Titus's living expenses, Right? He actually carried this team, like he paid for them. He's like, boys, I got it. Like, we, let, let's get onto this. We got it covered. And it says some really interesting things begin to happen as they get into, think about this. Paul, Paul has planted, he never really planted churches. He, he unlocked kingdom and churches manifested as a result of unlocking kingdoms in a region. Because right? the distinction of an apostle is not that they plant churches because you'll find some apostles in the New Testament didn't actually plant churches. They were in churches, but they didn't plant them. The sign of an apostle is that they unlock kingdom in a people, a place, or a sphere. That's the sign of an apostle, right? They have an ability to unlock kingdom in a people, in a, in a place, in a sphere. And then out of that comes the need to establish great churches. And, but you go, see, what happens is if, if all you do is establish churches, but you don't unlock the region, the churches are going to struggle. The churches are going to struggle. It's why we need apostolic ministry. It's why when pastors alone try and plant churches, they're at a disadvantage because there wasn't the apostolic prophetic that came to deal with the spirit world, the, the, the deal with the territorial spirits that had locked up that region. Right? So, okay. So, I'm getting off track. Sorry. Hit that. Same thing. Okay. So, here we go. So, so as, as this work gets deeper, as they're going on, some crazy things start to happen. Uh, one of the things that starts to happen is every day, Paul, in the, in the afternoon, after he finishes in the marketplace, comes and he opens up the Hall of Tyrannus and he comes and he uses it as a training center. Right? And some of the people get so excited about what's going on and can see the glory on him that they start pinching some of his work clothes. The Bible calls them aprons. Now, the apron wasn't back then an early church fashion thing. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'm wearing overalls, you know, like, no, no, no. No, apron was like a high-vis vest. And let me tell you, a high-vis vest, it's not fashion. It's just safety, all right? Let's just get that, right? It's just safety. So, so they start pinching his high-vis vests and some of his work stuff. The aprons were actually what he had to put on him because as they're tanning the leather, that was toxic. And they start pinching his dirty work clothes as they leave and they take them and they start putting them on their sick relatives and all of a sudden God starts manifesting marketplace miracles in the city. Because that's what happens, see, when you unlock the marketplace. Crazy stuff happens. They didn't, nothing wrong with bringing them to the altar. They just didn't have an altar to come to. 
It was just a training centre that was every afternoon. So they had to get clever about what they were going to do. Some, some, boys, some boys, the sons of Skiva, get cocky and start thinking, oh, well, we can, yeah, we, can, we can do this, and they you know, get beaten up and all that. But here's the interesting thing. It says that as the, as the sons of Skiva gets kicked out by this demon and this guy, and the demon gives respect not, to, not just to Jesus, but to this apostolic marketplace minister, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? It says that the fear of God hits the city and as a result of it, Ephesus, which was the centre of magic in the ancient world, they begin to get converted and bring their books, their magic books, and begin. they build a $1.4 million bonfire in the middle of the city. $1.4 million bonfire, which captures the attention of a very wealthy guy that says, hang on, we're losing the boat here. <laughs> and he, he calls a union meeting together and going, boys, something's up here. This guy, Paul, is starting to rock the city. And now the, the economic structures of our city, forget just the philosophy. He, he, he made it about the Temple Diana. He was thinking about his pocket. This guy is shifting the money. Whatever's on him is now, it's, it's not only shifting the philosophy, it's shifting the money. That's what he cared about. And as a result, think about, think about the impact. This is a church. This is a church work, shifting the money. And as a result of it, the riot breaks out in the city, right? And as the riot breaks out in the city, who is it that sends word to Paul to not come into the riot? Do you know who it is? It's the aristocracy of the city that were his friends. <laughs> Get this. He's, he's won the new ages, He's rocked the marketplace and now the civic leaders are with him. See, because if you want transformation, you've got to get the church unified. You've got to get the marketplace people activated and flourishing. And you've got to get those that are called to civic leadership to make a way, to make a pathway so the gospel and the kingdom can flourish in the city. That's how you get sustained transformation. It's how a city gets rocked, right? Because eventually Ephesus becomes the epicenter, one of the epicenters of early Christianity for the next 300 years. I, I, that's a marketplace example. I didn't make that up. Like that's in your Bible. I, like there's, just, there's lots we could go, but I, I just want to say to you, you know, God is awakening this area, and I just think, that as leaders, as pastors, as great people, we, we just need to look again at this particular aspect of our churches and, and just say, Holy Spirit, how do we get the, deliver us from idleness and, and deliver, deliver us from coaching idleness? I repent of that in my own heart. Deliver us from that. And, and would you give us strategies strategies on how to activate this in a dynamic way. Would you stand with me? Uh, I, I just, like, I suppose I feel like I've just I prayed, uh, preached an anointing into the room and I just, just kind of want to, I want to seal it in us. Um, let me give you a 30-second coaching moment. Whenever you want to bring change or activation into something that you heard, don't just write it in your journal. Write it in your journal and write A-C-T, act, 
next to it. And here's what ACT, it's an acronym. When you get back to your journal and you look at that act, ask yourself, what action can I take to implement something of what this thing is about in the next 24 to 48 hours? The C is for change. What habit can I, can I replace or change to create room for this thing to become activated in my world or in my church or in my business or in my life? And the T is... Who can I tell this thing? Who can I repeat this to in the next seven days? If you'll do those three things, I'm telling you, most people read, when they read a book, 90% of people do nothing of what they read in the book. They want to do stuff. They always say when they're reading the book, I should do that. And they never do. That's why conferences sometimes don't, I know this isn't a conference, this is an equipped uh, summit. Sometimes conferences are just people conferring, but nothing happens. Uh, But let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, you are, it's like you're the ultimate surfer, big wave surfer. And God, you see this tsunami of change, the tsunami of the technology, the tsunami of the, the changing world order of the nations that is breaking in and will continue to break in on the earth over the next 20 or 30 years. And God, you're giving us uh, eyes of the Spirit. You're making us like the sons of Issachar, that God knew the season, uh, prophetically sensed the, the wave is here, like it's it's not here, but it's here, you know, in the sense it's, it's not here, but it's time to prepare. It's time to begin to paddle in the direction. It's time to, to kind of, you know, flesh this out as it were and get in line. So as that wave comes into view and the others, Lord, get caught and think, oh, wow, what should we do? Actually, what will be is down, Lord, already the momentum, the paddle has has been, we're in the paddle so that we can, God, ride this wave uh, that's coming for your glory, for your honour, God. Father, we thank you right now. I pray for every minister, every Every, every church minister, every congregational minister here right now. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give them creative ideas. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would unlock uh, uh, things inside of them. Lord, even discussion points, even just bravery to go and have maybe a discussion with some key people in their church to go, hey, come on, let's sit down together. Let's wrestle together. You're in the marketplace. What? How, how can I serve you and, and, and what you're doing there as part of the experience? extension of this ministry life of this church. Father, thank you for everyone here, Lord God, that is actually um, a leader or a volunteer, but is actually in the marketplace, as it were, is calling. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, for fresh vision. I thank you that we are, Lord, while we're sheep in the midst of wolves, Father, you give us a grace to be snakes and doves, God, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. God, you give us a technology that literally, God, confuses Babylon and buckles every system that would try and hold back the kingdom of God that is within us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're releasing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.